Hi, I'm Mona Lewis, the sports director of WSU, and I want to personally welcome you to X's and Opinions. Sit back and listen as some of WSU's sportscasters break down some of the major headlines over the past week of professional sports. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WSU Sports for more content. And rate this podcast and subscribe if you enjoy. Now, let's get started, shall we? Hello and welcome to X's and Opinions here on WSOU. I'm John McCooch alongside Chris Kylie and Ryan Henry. First off, guys, before we get into the NFL going on today and, you know, some little NBA at the end of the show, how are you guys doing today? What's going on? Well, I'm doing all right, John. Uh, you know, preparing for finals, you know, that's been kind of rough, but, you know, I'm doing yeah. overall doing all right, you know. Doing well, John. It's um, it's December. It's the best month of the year. We're in the uh, in the witching hour, if you will, of 2020. So that's good to hear. Yeah, we're getting down to the end of this uh, interesting year. It's been an interesting year for the NFL, and you have a lot of uh, divisions and playoff races going uh, pretty tightly. Everything's coming down to the wire. And we're getting a lot closer to finding out who's going to have the number one pick as of this recording. Right now, the, the Raiders have the ball on the Jets' nine-yard line. They're down by four, but it's looking like the Raiders have a good shot at scoring, and the Jets might lose another game and go 0-12. But uh, overall, so far about this game, I mean, what are your reactions to the way the Jets have played? Because this is a tight one. You know, this is something that uh, the Jets haven't done a lot. The Raiders have been very good. I mean, they beat the Chiefs. They, you know, the Raiders just look very inconsistent. They're down Josh Jacobs, their star running back. But um, when you're playing a team that's 0-12 and is also the New York Jets, one of the most net franchises, you expect to win that game. I mean, Deborah Carr has played pretty well. I mean, the Raiders have overall, you know, offensively at least played played okay. They haven't, you know, blown out the Jets like everyone expected them to. So even if the Jets don't win this game, um, there's a you know, this is something to, you know, be proud of. As a Jet, for Jets fans, I'm not a Jets fan myself, but I mean, what are your reactions to this games, guys? I mean, I guess Chris, I'll start with you. What's what's about the Jets, about the Raiders? Just what do you got? Um, well, it's ironic that in what is now like game 12 of the year for the Jets, that Adam Gase has actually been creative for once, and it's. It, this is so much more about, I'd say, the Jets, less about the Jets than the Raiders, and that the Raiders show that they are truly not – I mean, I really want to say they're not really that – really a playoff – like, they're kind of overrated, i got to say it. I mean, Darren Waller has been an absolute tear this, this game. He's just been def- running over the Jets' defense. But um, the Jets have been able to get these timely turnovers against the Raiders. They had uh, that one with um, – Henry Ruggs getting that fumble, but um, this is more, I think, more sense about the Raiders just being showing some overrated, being slightly overrated, more so than the Jets. Yeah, I mean, the biggest takeaway has honestly been like the Raiders' defense and their lack of it, because I mean, I feel like you know the Raiders have been established themselves as a solid defensive team. You know, obviously we saw them against the Chiefs when they won. You know, they pride themselves, I think, more like the defense side of the ball, but like they're the Jets have just been running all over them. You know, they had over 200 yards rushing on six and a half yards carry. And they don't have, like, you know, Le'Veon Bell anymore. They have Ty Johnson, like, Frank Gore. They have these, like, one-off running backs who aren't really doing much. And, you know, the offense has been able to keep up the Raiders' offense, but it's just been the defense, which is kind of surprising because the Raiders' defense has been somewhat consistent the whole year, and that's what's really been driving this kind of, you know, unexpected, like, push for a playoff spot for them. 
Also, it's yeah. pretty clear that they really missing Josh Jacobs in this game. I mean, when you're you're facing 11 Jets, you got to take care of business, and without their star running back, that is becoming evident that they, he is much needed. Yeah, and especially. I, think, I mean, you have Devonte Booker going out there. He's not. He hasn't been very consistent throughout Denver. I mean, Ryan, you were going to say something there. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Uh, actually, the Raiders turned over on down, so the Jets officially won, barring any fumble yeah. or anything. So barring uh, barring some miracle at the Meadowlands, <laughs> yeah, you got, you got, yeah, you got. Barring some miracle at the Meadowlands, it's not the Meadowlands anymore. But uh, it looks like the Jets are going to win their first game of the season. Finally, Jets fans have something to celebrate about, but it's not really a celebration because there's this guy. He plays for Clemson. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Trevor Lawrence. He's one of the best quarterback prospects we've seen since Andrew Luck and John Elway. And I've been very high on him. And so is the rest of the NFL world and college football world. This guy is an absolute stud. And you look at the Jaguars. They are one in 10. They have one win as well. And, you know, it, it's been a guarantee for a while that the Jets are going to get the number one pick. They're going to either get Trevor Lawrence or they're going to trade the pick and get a King's ransom of draft picks. But, I mean, let's let's be in a world where let's say the Jets don't win this game uh, somehow, right? Because even if they don't, even if they win this game, um, it looks like the Jets have a pretty good shot at that number one pick. I mean, their schedule isn't very easy. Uh, their next winnable game is probably the Patriots at the end of the season. So uh, most likely, the Jets are going to keep this pick. And if they do get the number one pick, is Trevor Lawrence going to be a fit? I'll give you my take. I mean. I have been saying for a while, if the Jets get this number one pick, I mean, I love Trevor Lawrence. I'm a huge fan of his with the way he plays the game. I mean, he's I think that Mahomes and Lawrence is going to be the next Manning Brady. That's where that's where I see the NFL landscape going. Um, If he plays for the Jets, though, I'm not too sure about that because of this roster. And, you know, he doesn't have help. Trevor Lawrence would not have help. I mean, we've seen Sam Darnold. I think Sam Darnold's a very talented quarterback, but the roster has not supported him. I mean, this game is, you know, a bit different, but, uh, you know, I mean, Ty Johnson going off isn't going to happen 16 games. It's not going to happen. Jamison Crowder has been injured. Denzel Mims was injured for a while this season. This Jets team is played by injuries and inconsistencies. So if I'm the Jets, personally, I trade down in the draft and get a, you know, get a king. You would get so many draft picks for trading this because this is the biggest number one pick we've seen in such a long time. It's different than the Bengals trading the number one pick, which they didn't do, uh, rightfully so, because they had a roster, they had receivers, they had a team to build around Joe Burrow coming out of LSU. So if you are the Jets and you have this number one pick, I mean, where do you see this team going if they are to retain that pick? Um, I'll go first. Number one, Cooch, um, John, I wouldn't really go that far, okay? Because I okay. think really let's, – let's think this quickly in our back of our minds. So if the Jets win – and this stays out. The Jaguars do not – the Vikings hold on and beat the Jaguars. If week 17 rolls around and the Jags and uh, Jets are both 1-14, could you imagine that Bill Belichick and the Patriots are eliminated from playoff contention and that he's thinking in the back of his mind, this guy that always thinks in this chess move of the NFL, of always five steps ahead of saying, you know what, maybe, how about we lose intentionally, let the Jaguars get the first overall pick, and instead of having to worry about Trevor Lawrence for potentially 15 years, have him down in Sunnyside Duval of Jacksonville. I want to hear your take on that first. You know what, I actually do like that. I, I, you know, I don't know if um... – losing a game intentionally it's very possible i mean bill belichick is there for you know this isn't his last year obviously he's going to be there for quite some time if i was bill belichick 
And I would do that. I would very much lose that game on purpose, give the Jets their second win, and let the Jaguars get the number one pick. I think Trevor Lawrence is a much better fit in Jacksonville. There's actual talent in that offense. They need some help on the offensive line, and that they need to actually re-sign their players. But um, yeah, I do like that. I like that idea. But it's it's all speculation. But we're just going to assume the Jets have that pick. Yeah, I mean, I said this back on our X's and Opinion show. I want to say it was like early October. You know, Trevor Lawrence isn't doing anything with Adam Gase as head coach. I think we all can, especially if you're from, if you're Jets fans around the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area, Adam Gase is maybe one of the worst head coaches this past decade, maybe even NFL history. So he's not going to, Trevor Lawrence isn't going to mount anything with Adam Gase as head coach. It's leaning he's towards, like the, anyway. yeah, he should, he yeah. should get the ax regardless. But I want to talk about more of Sam Darnold, you know, I'm not the biggest Sam Donald guy, but I think this dude needs another chance somewhere, you know, whether it's Denver because their quarterback situation isn't the best, you know, maybe he goes to Indianapolis, more of a win now team who can't acquire that draft pick. He just needs to get out of New York and find a, just block, just go on another team, get a restart with a competent head coach, competent offense, competent weapons. You know, it's a very sad tale of his career. Cause you know, like you said, this jets team has just nothing to surround him with. And, He's been suffering for the past like two to three years. So, you know, I wish him the best of luck, but, you know, this might be the end of the road for Sam Darnold, potentially as a starting quarterback in the NFL because of Adam Gase. Yeah, I agree with you there, Ryan. Um, Yeah, go for it. When you look at really Sam Darnold's career, the Jets have had no real stability. They've changed coaches um, from Todd Bowles to Adam Gase. Probably they're going to – Adam Gase is definitely done after this year. They've changed the GMs. Now you have um, uh, no longer McCagnan, but um, – What's his Douglas. name? Douglas. Joe Douglas, yeah. yes. That um, you just had – you've got – you didn't re-sign Robbie Anderson. You traded away the best defensive player in Jamal Adams. So – Sorry. Yeah, this um, franchise is – yeah, you good? Yes. All right. Um, yeah, I'd go – but then back to Trevor Lawrence. One thing that I could really see with Trevor Lawrence is not – is that he could really pull an array of Mannings. We, If you look at Archie Manning, you look at Eli Manning, you look at uh, Peyton Manning, and look what all three of them did. You have Eli uh, – Trevor Lawrence, again, is a junior. Now, he could go to the NFL draft. He could be like Archie Manning, get drafted to – a, a an unterrible franchise that's in complete disarray and his career get ruined. He could be like Peyton Manning and say, you know what? The Jets are just a masqueration of an NFL franchise. Let me not, let me avoid this. Let me wait and go again my senior year. Or he could be like Eli Manning and say, you know what? Jets, I don't want to play for you and I'm still going to go into the NFL and you're going to give me, go just give me to a better team. Yeah, I've been saying the Eli Manning scenario. Uh, I've, I've been saying if Trevor, if the Jets have the number one pick, and it looks like they will based on the trend because the Jets, in Jets fashion, just blew this game. Derek Carr just dropped a 46-yard dime to Henry Ruggs, and the Raiders are winning with five seconds to go. It looks like they're going to win the game. The Jets are going to be 0-12. Um, so I've been saying that he should pull an Eli Manning. I agree with you. I think Trevor Lawrence needs to not be a Jet. He will ruin his career. I definitely agree with you there. I will throw in one more scenario before we move on to the Giants. I've had an idea. Uh, You trade the number one pick if you're the Jets. And you're going to have more money than the Dallas Cowboys will. If Dak Prescott is willing to sign with you, you trade the number one pick. 
You get a ton of young talent to surround Dak Prescott with. You make big signings if free agency, maybe. You trade Sam Darnold to Pittsburgh or Indianapolis. They will also give you a first-round pick or a second-round pick. You have Dak Prescott, and you build a team around him. Just really quickly, what are your thoughts on this idea? This is Jets fandom talking. I don't think they're getting (laughs) Dak Prescott, you know. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that, you know, if you look at what happened, Dak Prescott suffered a horrific leg injury, foot injury. Wish him a speedy recovery, even as an Eagles fan. You know, I can respect Dak Prescott. The case for Dak Prescott getting a contract somehow has got has improved since the injury because you look at what happened with Ben DiNucci. Andy Dalton, he's cool, but, like, the difference between Andy Dalton and Dak Prescott, especially how it impacts Dallas, is evident. So, as much as I'd love Dak Prescott to get out of the NFC East, get out, get out of my division, I think – I think the Cowboys are going to do whatever they can to lock him up. But, you know, it would be an interesting take because I think Dak Prescott, you know, the potential Trevor Lawrence is actually better than Dak. But, you know, Dak Prescott's still like a top seven quarterback, if healthy. So I, I think it's an interesting play, but I don't see it happening realistically. Yeah. Um, to go on this, put it quite simply, the Jets just need a good coach. They just need an adult. They need yeah. someone that is competent. They need someone that is – they just need Douglas. They need, he needs to find his guy that after like, like one season in which they go like five and 11, that he says, you know, I need to take control of how this coaching is going on. They just need to follow this model of just, just have someone that you have faith in picking players and developing them. Because that is also another thing that the Jets need to focus on, whether it's Michael Pirine, Rashad Perryman, Denzel Mims, their O-line with Mekhi Becton. They need to develop these guys because, even if you get, if you, even if you get uh, Trevor Lawrence, there's no guarantee that he is going to be good. He needs some help, and with that, you need to develop the other players that you've drafted in these previous drafts and hold on to them. Yeah, I think that's I, I, obviously the, the Dak Prescott scenario. Really quick, it's very improbable. I don't think it's going to happen. But if I was the Jets, I would try my hardest to do it. Um, I will say Eric Bieniemy needs to be the New York Jets head coach going forward if Trevor Lawrence is going to be the quarterback. He is a quiz in Andy Reid's offense, a quarterback guru coming up. I think that that would be a great fit for them. Now, Ryan, you mentioned the NFC least or the NFC East, whatever you want to call it. Um, The the New York Giants. Yeah, the least. They're a bad division. Everyone knows this. Um, The New York Giants play the Seattle Seahawks. They are winning. They are leading the NFC East. Yes, the four win New York Giants are leading the NFC East. Um, I just, this team has a lot of potential, especially on the defensive side of the bowl. There's a lot of young talent. You have Blake Martinez. That defensive line has been pretty stout so far. You got to keep building the secondary and all that, but you know, you have a lot of talent. A lot of the issues for this team is offensive. And part of that offense is not going to be playing against Seattle. You have Daniel Jones out with a hamstring injury. Who knows what his long-term, you know, uh, trajectory is, the receivers have been okay. You have Darius Slayton. Uh, he's been he's always balling. Evan Ingram has been dropping passes left and right. But Daniel Jones is injured against Seattle. I feel like I shouldn't have to ask this question, but do the Giants have a chance to beat the Seattle Seahawks today? Beat the Seattle Seahawks today? I think even with uh, Daniel Jones, that was a long shot. I mean, like you said before, this is maybe – one of the worst this is the easily the worst division this year might be one of the worst divisions we've seen in a while uh you know every game clearly matters but especially looking at who the other teams in their division are playing you know it isn't a do or die win game uh 
it's I don't think Colt McCoy is going to be up to the task of dueling uh, Russell Wilson on the main stage. You know, that's just not who how that's just a testament to how great Russell Wilson is and how not good Colt McCoy is. So, you know, I don't think it's a long shot for them to win this week. But, you know, luckily for them, the rest of their division are playing equally tough opponents. And it's funny you mentioned the the offense of the Giants, which have had its struggles, but it's also had some of its bright spots. It's funny that the trend among all of these NFC East teams, except for maybe Dallas, is that their defenses aren't – they're solid to good, but it's just the offenses are horrendous, you know. The Eagles, Carson Wentz has had his problems. Doug Pearson's play calling has been questionable. The red or the football team, you know, Alex Smith, you know, he's been Antonio Gibson's been lighting up, but you know, their passing game hasn't been great. It's all these teams have been quote carried. I can't say carried because they have four wins, have been built on their defenses. So, you know, it's gonna come down to these divisional games in the next upcoming like three to four weeks this side of, but you know. Giants, I don't think we're, we're going to win this week, even with Daniel Jones and Colt McCoy just makes their chances a lot less or a lot more slimmer. Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah, to, to go on that, the, the, yeah, the Giants really was it was going to be a long shot. Um, if they if they have any chance of winning, I'd say against Seattle, what they have to do, and as hard as it's going to be, is that they have to really control the clock. As we've seen all year, the DK Metcalf, Tyra Lockett, Russell Wilson trio has just been absolute dynamite. They're probably second or maybe even better than Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Kelsey when it comes to their connections. And so what the Giants really needed to do is they really need to control the game clock with uh, Wayne Gallman. But the problem is that when you look at Seattle's defense, it's really meant for you to join them and just fall, in, and just fall into this uh, – this home run, just shoot out against them because Seattle, their defense in passing has been terrible. It's been horrendous. It's last place, but in their but their rushing defense is the third best in the NFL. So as hard as it would be, I think what the Giants would need to do if they're going to have a chance of winning this game is that they need to control the play clock, play clock, and time of possession, and really con- and really have a dominant running game. Yeah, that's going to be very difficult to do without Saquon Barkley, who's out for the season. But Wayne Gallman has been stepping up pretty well for this team. I've liked the way that that guy's played. And if, if they can do that, they do have a shot in this game. But um, it's about a 95% to 5% shot that they win this game. I don't think the Giants have a have much of a chance. But, you know, anything is possible in the National Football League. I mean, we'll see what happens there. Now, really quickly, uh, we've talked about how bad this division is. We've talked about, Ryan, you mentioned how the it's going to come down to the divisional games because these teams cannot win games outside of their division for the most part. So um, we're, I need to just – got to figure out who's going to win this division. Um, right now the Giants are leading the division, right? But there's also – you have the Washington football team. You have the Philadelphia Eagles who are still in this thing because of a tie that a lot of people criticize, but now it's, you know – seeming to be their saving grace that time. And Dallas is, is Dallas and they play Baltimore. But I really think if I had to go to Vegas, put hundred bucks on something, I'm thinking Washington is going to probably take this division. I think that they're the overall best team. They have the most talent. Antonio Gibson has been an absolute tear. You have scary Terry and Malik Smith has been playing a lot better recently. Uh, you know, after that horrific leg injury, he's had his downs and he's also had, you know, more ups than usual, but a lot of downs for him, a lot of downs for all these quarterbacks, really. But I think Washington has the most talent and they'll probably have the best shot at winning games against a team like Dallas against Phillies and the Giants. I mean, they've already played the Giants twice, I believe, but 
What do you guys think? Who's going to win this division? Is it Washington? Is it Philly? Does Dallas find a way? Or is it New York, the current leader? If I had to put my money on anyone, I have to go with you. I have to go with Washington. I mean, you know, their defense has been one of the best units. That front four is one of the scariest pass rushes in the league. You got you have Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, Brian Kerrigan still doing his thing, you know. You know, they obviously have the the great run game with Antonio Gibson, and they do have Scary Terry, who you know has been who has been establishing himself as one of the best receivers. You know, as much as I want to say the Eagles would do it, I just I look at their schedule. They have a very tough schedule, you know, and you know they have a very up, tough upcoming schedule. And I just think the best team is right now Washington. They have Ron Rivera, who's been a, who's a great head coach, probably the best coach in this division, and. They're just the most consistent team week in and week out. Before I get to my opinion, I just would want to just get it off the – just show it that based on how it would be going, the best team is probably going to be 6-10. and 10. So, we're well, – let's not really just let's, – let's hold on and stop calling them the best team. Let's just say it's maybe the least worst team. Yeah. But I, I agree. Yeah. Um, Washington does seem like it. Um, I think it all depends on if the Giants have Daniel Jones because – Already the Giants have a very bad uh, offense. It's the fourth worst. It's the fifth worst passing offense. Their rushing is average. But, I mean, th- there's no way in, in a chance that with Colt McCoy under center that they're winning that division. So I would agree, yes, Washington will most likely win it. Um, I think one, one thing that the way it's looking is that that week 17 in which Washington will face Philadelphia – and Dallas will face New York. Those two games really might determine the, will determine the division, and they might go simultaneously, almost like a game one sixty two in two thousand eleven, the MLB, if you will. Yeah, it's going to come right down to the wire, and not in a very exciting way, as both of the as all these teams are probably going to be under five hundred and going to have a home playoff game. Uh, that's an interesting thought. Having a home playoff game yeah. is these they don't deserve it, but they're going to get it. So. It's just, it's the way it is. Um, Now let's move on to some actual football teams. You have the Browns and the Titans playing today. Uh, The Browns were on an absolute tear in the first half. It's a little closer now. It looks like the Browns are going to hold on to win. I think their second half strategy was kind of, let's run the clock with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and whoever else we have and just hold on for the win. And it looks like they will. But the Titans have kind of come back in this game. I mean, but... In that first half, you had Baker Mayfield was is 25-33, 334 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, this is unlike the usual, the status quo we've seen from Baker. Uh, played in a lot of bad weather games. Hasn't thrown an interception in the past four games. Oh, that's always something to say good, yeah. But um, this Browns offense, in the first half, it looked real. In the second half, it didn't do as much. But um, the Titans, though, losing Jadavian Clowney for the, for the rest of this season – um, I was never too high on Tennessee, but they've proven to be wrong time and time again. They're eight and three. It looks like they'll lose this game, though, for and they'll be tied with the Colts for the AFC South, except for that tiebreaker. Um, but more or both of these teams kind of have this similar vibe to me. They seem like I don't know if I want to say pretenders, but they seem to be they're going to have very good records going into this season, going into this playoff push. Um and they might be first-round exits if neither of them get a bye, which most neither of them will get a bye because of uh, Kansas City and Pittsburgh. But overall, let's get let's start with the game. I mean, what do you make of this game? You know, who, what stood out to you? And you know, Baker Mayfield he played pretty well. So, what do you guys think? 
I'd say first off that Baker Mayfield deserves his round of applause, a stand-up ovation. Okay, this guy does get a lot, a lot. I everyone sees it. This guy gets a lot of crud for um, for having bad performances against good teams, sometimes mediocre or inferior teams. But today he st- he walked up to the plate and he had a home run when it came to his performance today. As for Tennessee, one thing I will definitely say is that their offense, when Derrick Henry is not at this 120-yard rushing per game uh, performance is pretty much average. It is very inconsistent. Um, we saw in the second half today, they're now down 41-35, that they just uh, lit up their passing offense, but they were just doing that the entire second half. Um, but for, for Tennessee, what they need to really have is their defense needs to play better. They're going to have no shot of winning in the playoffs like that or have this stretch like they had last year of going to the AFC championship if their defense continues to play how they're playing right now. Yeah, I have to agree. You know, this team, I think we all like saw a comment where it's like, you know, this team's just dependent, especially the offense is dependent on Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry didn't do well, only 60 yards on four yards of carry, you know, for Derrick Henry level play, that's just not acceptable, especially for this Titans team that relies on, you know, ground and pound first, which opens up play action for Tannehill. I mean, Tannehill still had a good game regardless, but, you know, if the, if the if the Titans want to see another championship AFC championship run like they saw last year, it comes at Derrick Henry. And I agree with you, you know, when coming into the season, the Titans were supposed to be, you know, a good defensive, like a good defensive team. And I and they just haven't proven that consistently. They're giving up. They've given up 30 plus points in, in their last in their last four game three games. So, I mean, they just can't consistent. They can't consistently hold their opponents under like they did in the past. So, you know, they got to find a way, even in the absence of Jadavion Clowney, to get a better – to get better on defense. And you just hope this is the worst Derrick Henry game this year for their offense. I will yeah, say I mean, one more yeah. thing. Go for it. That for Tennessee, a lot of teams, it's Kansas City, it is Indianapolis, whether it's Pittsburgh, you do not, you're not going to want to face it. They are a scary team, and that is mainly due to Derrick Henry. But you do, they are a team that intimidates a lot of people, mainly because of Derrick Henry. So, yeah, it's big about Derrick Henry is is really the, just the workhorse back. He's the workhorse backs are really something we haven't seen a lot in this con, in this modern NFL, this 2020 NFL. It's really just Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry for the most part, really, that, you know, teams really rely on these guys to be successful and win football games. And it actually works. Um, you know, the Browns are now nine and a three. The Tennessee Titans will still be leading their division eight and four. Uh, and it's with this ground and pound play action offense that teams are really trying to adapt to because it's working. It's winning. Um, I've always been in favor of the three running back committee system, like you've seen with Kansas City Chiefs and with the Patriots. But now you see a lot of teams kind of using this workhorse back. But uh, let's transition to that AFC South that we've mentioned a little bit before. We have the Tennessee Titans now tied with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the Tennessee Titans won the last game against the Colts. And now you see them both tied for the division. Um, the Colts, though, they just beat the Texans by six. A win is a win for Indianapolis. You'll take them how you get them, especially in a tight division like this. You expect both teams to make the playoffs, of course, with these with these records. But who do you guys have winning this AFC South? I think it's going to be the Colts. I really see them kind of, you know, staying true to their their system, their run-the-ball system with multiple running backs rather than having to rely on one running back. Um, now the Colts do have a Steelers game. The Titans still have to play the Packers. But um, 
it's going to come down to just, I, I don't know, it could be tied at the end of the year and the Titans will hold it or the Colts will end up get, gaining a game on them. But what do you guys think is going to happen? I'm going to pick the Colts to win this division, or at least I'll pick them to be the best team in this AFC South. What do you guys have on this? Uh, I think I got to go with the Colts. I mean, you know, their defense is one of the best in the league, and they also have one of the easier schedules. You did point out that Pittsburgh game, which should be a great game to watch. But, you know, they play the Raiders next week, who we, we were talking about them earlier. They are they either play like one of the best teams in the league or they're very inconsistent. So, you know, you have that. And then you get two games against the Texans and the Jaguars to end the year. Those are those both should be wins. Also, it should be noted, though, they did lose the Jaguars week one. But, yeah, if I just had to pick a team right now to to, you know, take the division lead, I would have to go with the Colts just because their strength of schedule is easier in a sense than the Titans. The Titans don't have a hard schedule, but, you know, I just think the consistency, especially with that Colts defense, is going to take them over the top and secure that number one seed in the division. Um, I'd actually go against you guys, and I'm going to say Tennessee, that their remaining schedule against the Jaguars – um, they're still in overtime right now. Uh, the Lions, the Lions have been up and down this entire year. Uh, they do f- play at Green Bay, but I would take into account that that's late December. That's going to be a cold game. That's prime Derrick Henry running material. He's going to get the ball a lot in those games. I'd really quest- I've really questioned a lot of the Packers linebackers and their defense in total. And then they finish the season at the Texans. You're unsure maybe what the Texans are really playing for. That might be they checked out at that point. So I, I actually see the Titans could finish the year and go out 4-0 for the remaining season. But the critical thing that, as this a previous game shown, their defense has got to really, really improve, or they are not going anywhere, regardless if they're division winner or wild card winner. Yeah, it's it's they ha- that that defense has to improve, and it's not getting a lot of help, especially with Jadavia and Clowney being lost for the season. I will say about the, that Packers game, uh, the Packers run defense has been nothing special and nothing good at all. So I, I, it may be more likely that the Titans end up winning this division just based off their matchups and their schedule, especially with the Colts playing the Steelers. Although I think the Colts are due, uh, the Steelers are due for a loss eventually this season. I don't see them finishing this regular season undefeated, but. Again, it's a lot of we'll wait and see what happens, and you know, hopefully the Colts get in there. I'm a Colts fan. I'll admit it. But in that NFC North, though, we had a nice game between two guys who are not going to win this division. Uh, but a lot of people have had criticisms about the Bears and quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Um, he played not too bad against the Lions, but Matthew Stafford, well, he played better. And the Lions ended up coming back against Chicago. Chicago had an early lead, and then there was a pretty back-and-forth game. But – the Lions came out and won this football game. Adrian Peterson out here with two touchdowns, still running the ball. Still, he, he, he I think he had two or three touchdowns on Thanksgiving, and now he just had two more touchdowns here today. He's been getting a lot of red zone looks, especially with DeAndre Swift out. Uh, Adrian Peterson has played very well for this Lions team, but this Lions team is doing the thing that they do every year. They are playing very mediocre. They'll lose a lot of games that they probably should win. And then near the end of the season, middle of the season, they'll start putting up 30 points a game and start, you know, Matthew Stafford will look like a Hall of Famer. And this team finally starts to click at the end of the year. Uh, This is their first game without head coach Matt Patricia. So maybe that has something to do with it. But what do you make of these teams? I mean, now they're both five and now one's five and seven. Um, What do you make of this team? These, these, you know, the Bears and the Lions. I mean, these are both, you know, the Bears are a team that we thought might have had a shot to win the NFC North. Now they definitely won't. Uh, what do you make of this? 
Um, I'll go ahead first as a personal Bears fan. This is just, just really annoying. It's not so much that their performance today, the Bears scored 30 points. They did their job. It's really annoying that I'm applauding them when it comes to their first time to score 30 this entire year since week three. But um, just I'm more annoyed that the Bears have just had this incapability of just finishing games that after week three, really after week five, I should say that they just, their offense was just been non-existent all year. Yes. I'm not, I, I, I do notice that they scored 30 points, but there are just a lot of questions. Matt Nagy's playing play calling this year has just been abysmal. Uh, the lions, you got to give them props. Um, I would be really hyped too. If Matt Patricia was no longer my, my coach, um, but yes, the Bears, the Bears are a very, very, very curious team that just wants to break your heart at the very right moments, just and then wants to pick you up and then just beat you again. Yeah, this team has the. I mean, if you look at paper, this team has the looks of being a quality football team that can potentially make the playoffs. But like you said, it really comes down to two things: their quarterback play and Matt Nagy. You know, their quarterback play isn't great to begin with. You know, Trubisky. He's whatever. Nick Foles has been inconsistent. We've seen his highs. We've seen his lows. But Matt Nagy is really not helping them out, calling these plays that really don't give Foles or Trubisky the opportunity to get the to get the ball to the players in a quick amount of time. They're calling a lot of these deep plays when they don't have the line for that. So, I mean, you you have to assume if this team wants to get better, it starts with getting a new quarterback. You know, they have to address the quarterback. And I think Nagy needs to get fired. I mean, he proved that, like, he he's proven this season he just can't, you know – his playing calling isn't up to speed, you know. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of time now to be wondering if – hey, watch your Mac Jones highlights. Watch your Kyle Trask highlights. Just because right now they are very, very curious on how they're going to go into next year with their quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's it's play calling. It's quarterback. I mean, I like, I like that idea, though. Kyle Trask or maybe Mac Jones ending up becoming the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. I do think the quarterback, the Bears need to move on from Mitch Trubisky. He's shown that he's just not it. Uh, he has not shown enough flashes. He hasn't shown enough potential that he's going to be a starting quarterback in this league and that he has the talent to do so. He, he's, he's good when he when at the, at the end of the game when the Bears have basically no shot, but from quarters one to three, Mitchell Trubisky is not that great of a quarterback. And Great Nick garbage Foles, time touchdowns. Exactly. Phenomenal. Great garbage time quarterback. Phenomenal in the fourth quarter, only when it's garbage time. But Nick Foles hasn't shown much either. It's very going to be very interesting to see what the Bears do. I like, I like Kyle Trask. We'll see if their record will be enough to get that quarterback, maybe Mac Jones or someone later on. Now, here's it, – it's it's very interesting what's been going on in the NFL recently. A lot of the time, um, you know – a lot of teams, a lot of players, not even players, just fans in general. Um, it's it's all gone, quote unquote, well, that the past few weeks before last week, people kind of, uh, you know, didn't really think about too much when you're watching an NFL game. Like, oh, this is this is happening during a pandemic and everything. Um, but then you start to see things get a little bit interesting, get a little bit, you know, kind of real here. You have the Baltimore Ravens have a great amount of their roster testing positive for COVID. Lamar Jackson, a star in the NFL, um, is unable to play. And we saw Trace McSorley get in at quarterback for the Ravens. I mean, nobody thought that was going to happen after our, and we saw also saw RG3. I mean, Lamar Jackson should have been playing against Pittsburgh and that should have been a better game than it was. And then, you know, going off on quarterbacks too, 
you saw Denver last week. They didn't have a quarterback. They started Kendall Hinton at quarterback. I mean, people were – there was rumblings that Royce Freeman was going to be the quarterback of the Broncos, and then they said, no, we're going to pick up this practice squad kid who used to play quarterback a little bit at Wake Forest. Um, And it's just – the NFL, to me, has played this whole COVID situation very weird. Uh, you know, it seems like they tried their absolute hardest to make sure that, you know, the Ravens had as much of their roster as possible. But then you also saw the Broncos being forced to play without a quarterback the next day. Um, you know, to me, it's it's a little late to say that they should cancel games. They're really pushing, you know, things have to happen this week, has to happen this game, has to happen this week. I mean, it would be very hard to make up a game. It's very difficult. But the NFL really should have probably gave themselves a little bit more of leeway, a little bit more of breathing room in order to make up for these scenarios where a team is missing half their roster and then force them to play and make a worse product on the field. To me, the NFL is more focused on getting the games out than the actual product on the field. And I mean, that's not really the worst idea to go for, but it's not as good for the fans. But again, you have to get through the season. And are you guys, I mean, are you satisfied with the way that the NFL has played this whole COVID situation, especially, I mean, more looking more last week. I mean, they, it, I didn't, I didn't expect them really to get to this point without having a major flub like the Ravens, um, you know, obviously the Titans getting delayed and everything, but there hasn't been a major outbreak for a long time before this game. Um, what did you guys, I mean, do you guys think that the NFL is playing this right? Is there anything you would have done differently given that same situation? I mean, what are your, what are your guys takes on this? Uh, I'll go first. I do not think the NFL has handled it well. They've, you know, if they would have stuck to a format like saying, like you mentioned earlier, hey, these are the games, we're going to play them no matter what. They've done this thing where they've kind of like flip-flopped. They're like, oh, you know, X team is missing this amount of players. We're going to push the game back. But, you know, other times they're like, no, we're just going to play the game regardless. You know, I think like the Broncos example, you know, they didn't have any of their quarterbacks. They could have pushed that game back because it wasn't really that important of a game. You know, it wasn't like a single time slot game, like a nationally televised game. They could have pushed it back. But they're like, no, we'll let Kendall Hinton play. And God God bless him, you know. Hasn't hasn't played quarterback in a while. And they just throw him to the fire against a very good Saints defense. But you have the Ravens where they put – the Ravens-Steelers game where they pushed back again, 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 and again. Just to see – because I think they kind of did it. Speculation that, you know, Ravens big market team. You know, obviously have Lamar Jackson, the talent. They were, they were the number one seed in the AFC last year. You know, Pittsburgh's Steelers-Ravens, good rival, big rivalry. But – you have games like that where their NFL is willing to accommodate and push the game back as far as they possibly can. And then you have a game like the Broncos where they're just like, nope, we're going to let you play no matter what happens during the product on the field. So I wish they were just a bit more consistent in how they handled it. You know, either a, hey, we're going to push this back to a reasonable point where, you know, it's not ruining the whole season, but, you know, you, you can get as many guys healthy as you can. Or, you know what, your guys are healthy. You, you mess with COVID protocols. You guys aren't healthy, whatever. I just wish they were more consistent on that and not playing to certain teams. Um, there's actually is a reasoning that I found out about it. Uh, CBS uh, and NFL CBS actually explained this. That it was actually due to the outbreak and the severity of the amount of players in the for the Ravens. Almost every position player got it, whether it was Lamar, their running backs with J.K. Dobbins, their offensive line, defense line, everyone else really, everyone got it. The outbreak was poor. Um, for the Broncos in there, instance, it was only their quarterback situation right there. It was only the quarterbacks that got it. Regardless, I do agree with you guys that they should have handled that better. There is, I don't really think there's any problem with just pushing into Tuesday, but you, I would say you are right, Ryan, that the fact that it's, it's the 
three and eight uh, Broncos that are facing the Saints today. It's most likely that they just wanted to push it through. It's not going to be higher viewership, and they just had uh, Kendall Hilton in. And who was it, by the way? Quick question for you guys: Who was it that caught the only pass of that game? It was oh, no offense. It was oh, no offense. No offense, correct? Yes, it was <laughs> no offense. It was no offense. Same, same. I do. Okay. Have him. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I was wondering, like, come on, this guy's only got one reception? Yeah, I did 100% of all the receptions for the team, so yeah. Yeah, that, that'll that be a nice Jeopardy question one day. Who caught that pass that Kendall Hinton threw? He only completed one pass, but, I mean, yeah, the NFL could have definitely been more flexible with that game. I mean, obviously, you know, the Ravens, I understand that, you know, the Ravens had, you know, you had JK, you had the running back room got it, the quarterback room got it. You know, Trace McSorley was on the COVID list for a while. He just got off it, so he was able to be the backup quarterback. There was a lot of players that had COVID in that Ravens locker room and on that Ravens team. I don't know how the entire roster didn't get it, but the game was played and here we are. Um, but you see, you know, with the Steelers, it's it sucks for them because, I mean, now they're being forced to play on Monday and, you know, they were, you know, but the Ravens were also supposed to play on Thursday night football. We didn't have Thursday night football because of this. And now we have Tuesday night football. The NFL has shown that, yes, we are flexible. We are willing to push games back to Tuesday, to Wednesday even. So to say that they should have forced the Broncos to play, I mean, again, it was only the quarterback room. But when it is a position that is as significant as the quarterback position, you know, I personally, I think that that should have been a little val- valued a little bit differently. Obviously, you know, we have to make sure that the game is played. That is the main priority, and that probably should be the main priority, especially for a team that's four and seven. You know, this isn't like forcing the Ravens or forcing even the Steelers or even Cleveland, let's say, to not play without their quarterback and basically sign them up to lose this game because there was no way that the Broncos were going to win with Kendall Hinton. Everyone knows that. You know, I'm surprised that they put up, I mean, they put up like three points, I believe. Um, you know, you, you, the Saints know, hey, they're going to run the ball. The quarterback isn't that great. He doesn't know the offense as well. So, I mean, I really think that they probably should have pushed that game, like you said, back to Tuesday. But um, it's also the Steelers. They haven't had a break. They haven't had a week off. Um, and they're still undefeated. I mean, just any any other takes you guys have about that situation? One thing that I have been thinking a lot is how does this transition to playoffs? Yeah. Let's say um, you're in the AFC championship. Let's say you're in the Super Bowl. Let's say you're in the Super Bowl. The entire quarterbacks for the Chiefs, whether it's Matt Castle or Patrick Mahomes, both of them get the entire quarterbacks just get – I mean, what are you going to do in that situation where you just bought out the entire time slot where you've reserved, you have all those commercials ready to be punched out? You're going to play with like – you're going to have Tyreek Hill play a, wild, a Wildcat uh, uh, for the entire game. Are you going to be able to do that? You're going to be okay with putting that product out in the field. And let's say in the, in the instance for the Ravens where it's a massive outbreak ahead of a playoff game, how do you like handle that? Where would you like push it all the way to a Wednesday? And then the winner of that game would have to go on and then play a game on Saturday or Sunday for the playoffs. I mean, that's really a thing that I've been thinking of like how, like what is the NFL's situ- treatment of these games? And is it going to be similar to how they treat in the playoffs and in uh, the instance that no one would want in the Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of is I know there's usually that week, that week, in between the conference games and the Super Bowl. But, like, if it's a Super Bowl situation, you really can't do anything. But the only thing I can think of is they give that that conference championship uh, week where the Pro Bowl in between, where the Pro Bowl would usually play. But that's the only thing I can think of, you know. Yeah. 
it's it's an interesting situation. But then you also have to put out the idea that week is so that way those teams are rested for the Super Bowl. You know, you have the Pro Bowl. A lot of guys don't elect to play the Pro Bowl. If I mean, you're you're not you don't go to the Pro Bowl if you play in the Super Bowl. It's fair, uh, but there's no Pro Bowl, so that's just going to kind of be this bye week. But you know, is that going to be okay in the eyes of fans and the eyes of players? More importantly. Is it going to be okay for me to say, hey, uh, you have to play back-to-back weeks and then you have to play you have to play back-to-back, right? You get a week off maybe because you have COVID, but then you just played a game last week and now you have to play in the Super Bowl against a team that hasn't played in a week and is all rested. Maybe they've had injuries. It's going to be very a very slippery slope in that playoff situation. I, I mean, I'm not sure what they're doing in terms of bubbling. Uh, if you can make a bubble for the playoffs, please, NFL, make the bubble for the playoffs. That's how you're going to ensure that this happens. Um, I, I'm not sure what the NFL is going to do there. But it's just – it's going to be very interesting what the NFL yeah. is going to do. Do it in like Florida. You could do it in Texas. Yeah. You could use like Houston. You could use Reliance Stadium in Jerry's World. You go in Florida with Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, um, Miami. Yeah, you. I would say they're either going to use like Los Angeles. They might use California because they don't really have fans in their sporting arenas right now. Yeah. Um, maybe Texas and Florida if they want to keep the fan environment, particularly if it's the Super Bowl. Which I think there there's no change of plans right now for from change transitioning from being in Tampa. Yeah. That would that would make that would make the most sense. I mean, you have but you have to move it to some kind of maybe neutral site. Uh, well, obviously, the Super Bowl is always at a neutral site, but even playoff games, you have to move maybe to a neutral site uh, that you can ensure, hey, there's no COVID here, there's no fans here. Just have do it. I kind of what the MLB is going, what they did, kind of have you know. I mean, we had the Justin Turner that almost was a disaster, but you know, again, the goal for the NFL finish this season, you know. You have maybe the playoffs, you allow fans, but you have, you know, neutral site games and everything. And then that World Series, you just, you know, let it, World Series or the Super Bowl, you know, you they just kind of let it be and let the fans be distanced from the, te- from the players and the teams and everything. And, you know, keep the Super Bowl environment as much as you possibly can. And I think that's what the NFL is going to do. They're going to keep the Super Bowl in Tampa. Tampa will not be there, um, but they're going to keep that Super Bowl there and we're going to have the Super Bowl. I think it's going to find a way to work out. I'm again, like I was in the beginning of the season, cautiously optimistic about this entire situation and the way that they're going to treat COVID, but it's going to be, again, it could either go really bad or we'll just kind of be like, Oh, it worked. They did it. But a prediction there, not, not Tampa. Well, no, not, not from the NFC. Tampa Bay will not be, Make, I mean, there's Bruce Arians and Tom Brady still at this point are, have not been getting along as well as they probably would have liked to. And I agree. Just, I agree. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, again, I think I think it might. I think Seattle finds a way to get it there. Maybe we'll see. Uh, definitely not a team from the NFC East. I think that's pretty easy to make. Um, but again, moving on. In the two to, instances yeah. that one quick question. In the two instances that there were teams with below 500 records in the playoffs and held playoff games, Seattle and Carolina, they both yeah. did one playoff games at home. They did. They did. Uh, Carolina was like seven, eight, and one, or something like that. They beat uh, the Cardinals, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And then the uh, and then the game. Yeah, that was just. I mean, hey, anything is possible in the NFL, and uh, if there's any team to do it, uh, Washington's defensive line definitely could have a chance of stopping a team's run game. If that does happen, I will be very shocked, uh, considering these teams. Mm-hmm. But again, it's happened before, and it very well could happen again. No. Um, you there's Wednesday afternoon football. Anything can happen. Any, yeah, yeah. Wednesday Wednesday afternoon football. They still <laughs> advertise it as Sunday night football. 
I'm like, come on, we know what day it is, guys. Come on, it's just. Did you uh, guys um? Did you guys hear why it was uh, It was Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon, not Wednesday night. What? Because it's technically like the transition way from. Oh wait, no, no, it was the um, It was Rockefeller. Yeah, the Rockefeller no. thing. Yeah, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, the <laughs> NFL got delayed. Priorities, 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 guys. Oh man. That was yeah. I I remember. That, thanks for bringing that. I guess we're gonna laugh. That was just yeah. That was just <laughs> the NFL, the biggest corporation ever, gets delayed by the Rockefeller Parade. Uh, that's that's 2020 for you. That's the NFL. Now, finally, moving on to the NBA. Uh, we just had a really massive trade. Uh, but you know, some people I don't know what you guys think of it yet. But we're gonna find out. I'll tell you what I think of it. Uh, but first off, Russell Westbrook wanted out of Houston for a while. He demanded a trade. Um, you know, James Harden, we've seen rumors about him. We'll probably get to that. Uh, Russell Westbrook traded for John Wall of the Washington Wizards in a first round pick, a point guard swap uh, from two teams that really said, hey, you know, both of those point guards said we want to get out. Russell Westbrook did not want to be there. I mean, John Wall and then the Wizards said we can upgrade and get Russell Westbrook in their eyes. Uh, John Wall has been coming off quite a few injuries. You know, we love watching him play. I love watching him play, at least. And he's one of the most exciting players to watch when healthy and when he was at his peak. I mean, he was dunking on everybody from that point guard spot. John Wall, uh, he's just so much fun to watch. And now he's going to be in Houston with James Harden. Uh, this point guard swap, you know, a lot of people are saying, hey, this Wizards team is better. They have a few, a bit of talent. You pair John Wall, I mean, Russell Westbrook now with Bradley Beal. Uh, Bradley Beal was absolutely balling out last season. But now you see Russell Westbrook paired up with John Wall uh, with Bradley Beal messing up here. But I don't really think that this trade improved a lot for either team. I wouldn't necessarily say a team, a, a team won this trade, but it's also, you know, it depends on John Wall's health and what the Rockets decide to do with James Harden. I mean, the Rockets, you know, they've signed Christian Wood. They signed DeMarcus Cousins. They're looking to kind of get away maybe from that small ball they've been playing that hasn't won them playoff series as much as they would have liked to. But with this trade, uh, you get Russell Westbrook out of Houston. Again, we're all kind of waiting and biting our nails and get the popcorn out to see if a James Harden trade will happen. But first off, just your quick general reactions to this trade. What did you guys make of it? You know, what what is going on with these teams in this trade? I'll go first. Uh, this is a very, I think this is a low risk, high reward trade for the Wizards. You know, if you guys forget, because I think the bubble kind of distorted Russell Westbrook a bit. He was averaging 30 like in that month after they traded Clint Capella, but before the um, breakout happened, he was performing very well. He was averaging around 30 and shooting well. You know, if the Wizards can get that Westbrook paired up with Bradley Beal, who can play more off the ball than Harden can, you know, are they championship contender team? No, but they'll probably find their way in the middle of the East, which, you know, hey, for Wizards fans, that might be enough. You know, I don't know. And also, you know, even if Ruffs doesn't work out and they decide to move on from him and Bradley Beal, you do have that young core. You can work with with Denny, Rui, uh, uh, Thomas Bryan. And they only had to give up a first-round pick in John Wall. And, you know, I look at the trade for Houston, too. I, I don't get the trade. You know, I get moving away from Russell Westbrook. I get that. But you've got a guy who essentially, even as peak, was a worse version of Russell Westbrook. You know, hyper-athletic point guard, you know, solid defender, playmaker, but he can't really shoot. And we saw how Russell Westbrook and Harden worked. It wasn't that great. It had some highs, some lows. But, you know, 
John Wall's coming off an Achilles tear that's in sports that's usually like the death sentence for any player, especially of John Wall's athleticism. So, you know, I just don't get the trade, you know. If they trade for more of a shooting point guard, I'd see it, but I don't get the move to just essentially downgrade from a player you know hasn't worked in the past with your superstar. Um, I'll, I'll just, before I go, I'll just say this. Um, I'm, fr- I'm from just outside Washington, D.C. I've seen John Wall since his rookie year during, like, even before the they changed their jerseys back when they had Jan Vesely and Nick Young and JaVale McGee. Um, but about that, um, this trade was kind of status quo. Um, all, I mean, it's trade of a ball-dominant point guard to a team with a ball-dominant point guard for a ball-dominant point guard with a team that has a ball-dominant ball dominant guard. Um, you really look at Houston, I think they're still going to be in that four to six air, area of the division. They might fall lower. If you look at teams like um, Dallas is obviously improving. Denver, I think, is still going to be there. The Clippers are still going to be there. The Lakers are obviously still going to be there. Um, we don't know. We, um, the uh, Warriors could be a real wild card. So I think they're at best going to stick where they are, probably fall, uh, fall down a little bit. Um, and then for the Wizards, they might improve a little bit. But the problem is that the Wizards are kind of like in this no-man land that is terrible in the NBA where you're not in a position to be competing, but you're not really so much in, in position to be like rebuilding and getting like top draft picks. And you're really just banking on the fact that you can develop like a mid lottery pick. Well, so I, I, one thing also is that all four of these players that are really connected, all four of these guards are in somewhat like in trade rumors already with these two of John wall and Russell Westbrook, but there you want to see what, now what is going to happen with Harden. Does he go to Brooklyn and join Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving? And then you look at Bradley Beal. Does he also potentially go to Brooklyn or in some cases of uh, Chicago uh, uh, joining with back with Billy Donovan? So. Yeah, I mean, I kind of want to take a, a bit of a deeper dive in each team individually really quick, not yeah, really quickly, but we'll get into it. Um, for the Rockets, I mean, Ryan, you kind of touched on this a little bit. For the Rockets, this is kind of the definition of insanity, doing having the same player running the same way back over and over again, with, you know, putting a ball-dominant point guard with James Harden, and it hasn't won them, you know, hasn't gotten them to the NBA Finals. And if they keep doing this, uh, they probably won't ever make it there. I still, again, see them as a four seed, a five seed, even maybe a six seed. You know, if, if the Warriors had Clay Thompson, I'd put them a lot lower. But they are in no way able to compete with the Lakers, with the Clippers, with the Nuggets, at least. At least those three they won't be able to compete with. They know that. They should know that. But they keep priming it up again, running it back like they know that, like they think they can. I thought Russell Westbrook was going to be traded for young talent, draft picks. They got a draft pick, but it's the Wizards draft pick. But I thought that's what I thought. I thought maybe, you know, I mean, even with James Harden, I thought, you know, he was probably going to go to the Magic maybe. Uh, And they would maybe get Aaron Gordon and a lot of young draft picks, whatever young talent they had there. But the Rockets have John Wall. They have James Harden. Nothing else has happened yet. Maybe like an hour after this thing gets uploaded and then, you know, we'll see James Harden going to Brooklyn and whatever. But I also do think that having John Wall here might eliminate the idea of a James Harden trade because Brooklyn, I mean, they want to put in Kyrie Irving in that trade. Um, but or the Rockets want Kyrie Irving, but now why would you want Kyrie Irving? Because now you have John Wall. Uh, it's just, it's just, I don't really understand the Rockets' direction. You, you got Steven Silas now. You're moving away from that small ball. You signed Christian Wood. You signed Demarcus Cousins. But I mean. 
what is the direction of this team? I thought they were going to blow it up. That's what I, I think that's what most NBA fans thought, that the Rockets, they're going to blow it up. They're going to try this thing again. Then you see them sign Christian Wood. Then you see them sign DeMarcus Cousins. And now this trade just happened. So where is the Rockets' trajectory really going forward? Uh, I got to agree with you. Like, you know, I don't I don't know where they're going. Like, I, I had them because I was, like, doing, like, seeing where the predictions were. I think I had them, like, six seed, which is, like, you know, because the West has improved, but they really haven't. I actually yep. like their all-season moves up until the John Wall trade. You know, Steven Silas is coming over from Dallas. We know the offense they were running there. And then you sign Christian Wood, who might be one of the most underrated players in the league. You get a true center in DeMarcus, even if he isn't, like, prime DeMarcus anymore. He's, like, a legitimate big man. But, like, John Wall is just, like, pushing the needle forward. It's like, you know, you can't – we don't know how he's going to be playing. He hasn't played really since 2018. You know, he's played, like, he even, even then he was hurt. So, I don't know. I guess it's just another season of, hey, you know, we're competitive and hopefully it's content with James Harden, which it probably won't be. But, yeah, the days of Houston Rockets basketball with James Harden is probably the days are counting. Yeah, I'd yeah, say uh, on your fingers at this point. Yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. I think that the Rockets really have, after that year when they were up three, two against the Warriors, the year they had Chris Paul, and they proceeded to lose game six and game seven that after that they got rid of Chris Ball, who is a non-ball dominant point guard. He's a great assister, one of the best passing uh, point guards you ever see in the NBA history. When they transitioned that to Russell Westbrook, a ball dominant guard, and now they're going this, changing this again, playing like another version of this, um, almost uh, with uh, John Wall, you're really just back at square one. I mean, I think their best success is when they had Chris Ball, and that he was like, okay, I'll just keep passing. I'll get my 15 assists a game, and I'll just keep passing it. But would you just – there's just no change with the trade. And it's really, in a sense, a loss for the, uh, for the Rockets. For the Wizards, again, um, it could – it's a high risk. It's a low risk, high reward. Um, you could trade – you could trade Russell Westbrook again. You could trade Bradley Beal and then fully get into your rebuild, in which you give up a lot. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, the Wizards, I actually really like this trade for the Wizards because John Wall's health, I mean, let's be honest, it's been, he hasn't played, like Ryan mentioned, in two years, basically. He has, he's not going to be prime John Wall. He's not going to be, you know, the Kentucky John Wall doing the Dougie all the time. He's not that player anymore, right? Unless if he comes back, I hope he does. I want John Wall to be as successful as he possibly can be. And I think that he will come back pretty well. But, I mean, that Achilles injury, he's an athletic point guard. Achilles is not great for athleticism uh, when you tear that Achilles fully. I mean, Dominique Wilkins was still pretty was still pretty good after that Achilles injury, but that's an anomaly. Can John Wall be an anomaly? I hope so. But the Wizards are kind of doing what they should be doing. Um, I would have still said this if they had John Wall coming back healthy. They're trending in the right direction. They're building around Bradley Beal. Now you have Russell Westbrook in there. I don't. I think those two may be able to fit. We'll see what happens there. You got Roy. I love Denny Avdia. I think that there's a lot of young talent on this team. You got Brian at the center. They just have to work on their depth and their bench pieces. And I think maybe in three to four years, this team is going to be really good. Maybe not a playoff, you know, uh, Eastern Conference contender. You know, the Celtics are getting better. You have Milwaukee with Giannis for now. And the Wizards are kind of, you know, in this middle stage. But I think if they, if Denny Avdia is as good as he can be, this team may 
you know, not this year. I think this year they have a shot at making the playoffs, but I don't know if they're going to really get there, maybe at the eight or seven, six spot. But it may be two years, three years, when you keep developing, developing this roster, they could trend towards the five, three, four, five, maybe even the two, uh, if they keep getting better. So, I mean, do you see the Wizards doing that, or am I, am I delusional? Yeah, also uh, look at um, uh, Rui Hachimura, who's, who developed uh, for his, freshman, uh, his rookie yeah. year. Uh, but, yeah, you were talking about Denny. I think that this could potentially even be a, um, a Luka Doncic-type potential where just after – in his second season, this guy could be just lighting up the league and just be like, okay, I'm here now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think obviously like the Wizards' trajectory depends on the development of these young guys. But, you know, I said before, you know, this was kind of a test out see how good can we be with Bradley Beal being our best player? And then they can work off of that saying, you know what, we can actually trade this guy for some assets. And, you know, we can build around Denny, Rui. You guys mentioned, forgot to mention Davis Bertans, one of the best shooters. So, you know, like they have, they can work go in either direction. And, you know, I like the trade for them. So they could take that step. Obviously, it depends on Denny's uh, development. But, you know, I like their future right now. Yeah, the future is definitely bright in Washington. Now, it could all you know, come back in their face and they can be back to square one in a few years and they'll be a pretty rough team or they can be really good and they can be contending for some time. I mean, LeBron's going to retire by the time the Wizards are good. So maybe that'll give them a little bit better chance. But um, anything else you guys want to add about either of these two teams? I mean, really, who won the trade? I think we've kind of, I think it's pretty obvious that we think the Wizards won the trade if anybody did. But I mean, just what do you guys think about this? Anything else? Uh, Wizards won the trade. I think the Wizards won the trade because... You know, you're getting rid of a guy who the injury risk is very high. You don't know how good John Wall is going to be. And you essentially upgraded to Russell Westbrook. Say what you will about Russell Westbrook, but he has and is right now better than John Wall. And, you know, if he does, if you do well, you have a good playoff team that can maybe, maybe make a second round appearance. If you're lucky, maybe a conference final appearance, but that's more unlikely. And you didn't have to give up much. You just gave up John Wall and, uh, protected lottery pick that's a that'll convey in a few years yeah i'd say at the moment this year in the 2021 season it's very equal it's i don't really think any team particularly won but i think in the long term if if it does go into fruition how the wizards plan then i think it could be a big win for the wizards i i think that and there's it'd be a, there's the chances of this trade coming out to be a big win for the rockets is highly unlikely highly unlikely yeah, this again, it's more the Wizards have a better shot at winning at this trade, but this also could just be one of those trades that didn't really change much of the landscape of the NBA. It could just kind of both teams could stay stagnant, not really develop too much, or the Wizards could have these young guys and they could develop into a great team. Anyway, we'll see what happens there. We've, we've got a lot of time to wait for it, but anything else you guys want to add uh, about the NFL, about the NBA, anything else you, know, you want to add in? Because we're coming to the conclusion of our show. So what do you guys have? Anything else? I think I'm good. It was a nice little recap of this week. I don't have anything more to say. Um, that was a good show. Um, I thought at the start of the show, the Bears were going to be back. They are not. They are right back at the basically the same as last year, where they're going to finish probably like seven and nine, nine and seven. Yeah, I mean, that's probably where the Bears are going to end up. I mean, uh, they, they are going to finish mediocre. Uh, we'll see if they get a new quarterback next season. Hopefully they will, for your sake and for the rest of Chicago, of course. Um, anyway. watching my child, Kyle Trask highlights. Kyle is just yeah, just daisy a little bit. I'm already making my jersey. Got it. You got it. Uh, and then hopefully, hopefully that happens. I think the Bears will be pretty good if they get Kyle Trask. I like him a lot at Florida. Uh, but anyway. This is X's and Opinions. I'm John McCoochie, your host, signing off. 
for Chris Kiley and Ryan Henry. This was a fun one. It's great talking to you guys. Again, this is WSOU, Exits and Opinions. We will see you next time.